When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pod Save the King! Hello and welcome to Pod Save the King. I'm your host, Zoe Forsey, and I'm joined today for a special episode uh, with the author who's just written a new book about our new king. So King Charles III is out later this month, written by the brilliant royal expert, Jill Nappett. Hi, Jill. Thanks for joining me. How are you? Hello, Zoe. Very well, thank you. Great to be here. Yes, a really exciting couple of weeks for you with um, lots of things planned and very busy. But you've spent an awful lot of time researching our new monarch, Charles, um, to kind of find out about his, how his life until this point has kind of prepared him for the role and also looking ahead more to the coronation. Um, But so just to kind of, just to start off then, how do you think Charles is settling into the role of monarch? Okay, well, it's really early days. Bill, isn't it? We haven't really seen a huge amount of him so far. But what he, what we have seen, I'd say he's taken on the role of kingship with um, calm, dignity, and sense of responsibility that that we knew he would, that we come to accept from him. Um, I mean, we've seen him recently last month out and about in Greater Manchester when he was on a, a tour in the north, visiting the GCHQ and the Kellogg's factory and. And him and the Queen Consort went to Bolton to the Town Hall um, anniversary. And then she went on to, um, they both went on to a community centre. Um, so, yeah, they have been out and about. But um, I guess a lot of the focus is preparation for the coronation. I think one of the things that I noticed, um, or I kind of didn't, maybe I didn't think about, was obviously the first, when we saw Charles stepping into this role, he wasn't just stepping up as monarch, but you kind of, it really hit home that he was also mourning his mother because, you know, that yes. is obviously due to the design of the royal family that when a new monarch takes this position, and it's something that, you know, the majority of people uh, living in the UK and around the world haven't really kind of seen this handover before, but watching him obviously really dealing with fresh grief but having to go out and do engagements and to step up, and I think that was... He handled that really, really well, but also kind of, I think lots you know managed to you know get the the sympathy everyone everyone was with him i think in those first few days wasn't weren't they yes yes uh, yes definitely that we all saw that on the on the news on the on the screens um when he arrived back in london the, the huge crowds welcome welcoming both him and camilla the warmth that exuded was just wonderful to see they they must have been whilst they were grieving clearly they must have been gladdened by the welcome they, that they received. Now, Charles has obviously spent his life preparing for this role, especially kind of the, you know, the last couple of decades. And um, yes. how did the Queen and Prince Philip as well help him for this completely unique role? Well, it's, it's, it, as you say, it's completely unique because even the Queen didn't know until she was 10 years old that she was going to one day be Queen. So she hadn't got that childhood experience to bring to him, or at least the early childhood experience. But 
I, they both instilled in him from the very earliest age the expectations um, that would be would be his. And he had to develop an independence really quite early on, I would say, because his father was in the Royal Navy um, until early 1950s and his mother was away quite a lot. She spent quite a lot of time in Malta and um, where Philip was based. And so in his early years, um, you know, you know, she, she didn't really have them around a huge amount. Um, and also the Queen was supporting um, her father, who was, whose health was failing, um, in, in some royal duties. And he was only three when his mother actually became Queen, so very, very young. Uh, but he knew nothing other than um, being polite, shaking hands, he had all sorts of people of all ages, looking them in the eye when speaking to them, etc. So he was brought up to, to do that from a very small boy. But the other thing I would say is his parents' choice of schooling allowed him to experience uh, life beyond the palace walls. Um, they realised the world was changing, and including for the royal family. And Prince Philip in particular, I would say, was very keen for Charles, shall we say, to toughen up, um, which is why he chose Gordonston, the school he himself had gone to, in Scotland for his son's secondary education. But, um, no, I mean, we know that Charles didn't particularly like it there. It's a very hard regime. But he knuckled down and got on with it. Um, you know, things like the uh, military-style assault courses, etc., and all, and all that. He, you know, he just got on with it, shall you say. It was, you do hear stories from him, his time at that school. And obviously, you know, as a school, other people, as you said, Prince Philip, you know, he spoke so highly of it. And I think it was Princess Anne that said that she really loved that approach to education. But it wasn't, as we know, all schools, all education, uh, you know, education kind of fits different children differently. Um, but, oh. you know, you do hear some real kind of horror stories from his time there. So, as you said, to kind of get through that must have, you know, had a huge impact on him as a child. Um, and I think that shows, you know, the fact that he sent William and Harry to Eton, rather mm. than kind of following that family tradition on, he picked something different for his boys, which I think was, you know, was really interesting as well and showed maybe how difficult it was for him. Yeah, that was very telling, I think. I think both Charles and Diana, um, boy's mother, were determined that um, his children would not follow th that, that type of education that he had, you know, really not enjoyed one bit. So that was something they were certainly united on. Now, the Queen used her accession day speech of her jubilee year, so this time last year, to express her wish for Camilla to become the Queen right. Consort. And so yeah. Charles has had Camilla by his side. Now, we always know she would have been by her, you know, supporting behind the scenes, but he's had her publicly supporting as his Queen. What would that, you know, what would that mean to him on a day-to-day -day basis to have, you know, the, the woman that he loves there with him? Oh, everything, absolutely everything. And and what a lonely place it would be without her for him. Because um, they married in 2005, of course, and really she's proved to be the perfect wife for him, isn't she? Always supporting him. Again, another person who deals with it with quite dignity and grace. Um, and the Queen referred to Prince Philip as her rock, so famously, and I think Camilla, in turn, is Charles's rock. Um, and as you've just said, one of the most important recognitions of Camilla and her loyalty and support came um, in February 
last year with the Queen's um, accession speech and her wish that Camilla would become Queen Consort in, in due course. And of course, six months later, that was to become a reality. Um, but also in their private lives, Charles and Camilla share, share so many interests and passions. So it's lovely that privately they got that support, mutual support as well as husband and wife. There was that lovely interview, I think she, I can't remember for the life of me who it was with, but she said that one of their favorite, you know, they always meet up and make sure they have tea once a day to talk about the day. And they, you know, one of their favorite things to do is just sit in the same room in silence and read, read together. So just that thing of, you know, not, you know, that, that love and that relationship where you don't need to be constantly chatting and making jokes, but just being near to someone, both doing your own thing, I think is really, and almost having that calm together as well as the excitement, having the calm together. Um, Yes. And what I found lovely as well is obviously Camilla has had such a difficult relationship with um, with the public uh, due to kind of the beginnings and the early days of her relationship with Charles. But I think it's been really lovely to see her being so welcomed by the public. And, you know, there was so much support when this the Queen made this statement um, and said yes. that she wanted her to be Queen. So obviously, originally they'd said that she wouldn't be, she'd be Princess Consort, but to have that yeah. Queen title um, and that she'll have such a big role at the coronation as well, I think is lovely. Yes, I, I agree. I think that's a wonderful thing for Charles to know that the, the, the nation at large has, has welcomed her with open arms, ultimately. And are there any other members of the family that you think Charles would have looked to for support as he kind of gets to grips with this role? Um, it feels to me like the Prince and Princess of Wales have been a big, you know, big support for him. Do you agree with Definitely. that? And is there anyone else? Definitely the Prince and Princess of Wales a marvellous couple and of course um princess Anne, the princess royal and um, prince edward and and edward's wife sophie countess of wessex i think those are his major supports now obviously um as you mentioned there about kind of his siblings now one of the first challenges that we're all starting already just starting to hear that charles is dealing with is he's going to have to kind of ahead of the coronation uh in particular, but also going forward, um, is to figure out what to do with the kind of Prince Andrew situation. We know that the Queen was very keen to keep him in the fold. Uh, we know that from the service of Thanksgiving for Prince Philip, when you know he they came in uh, kind of arm in arm with him supporting his mother. Um, but yeah. it seems that Charles is being a lot more firm with him. What was their relationship like growing yeah. up? Because there's quite a chunky age gap between the two. You know, the, you've got Charles and Anne, and then you've got Andrew and Edward. Yes, yeah, definitely. It's, it's like a second family for the Queen, wasn't it? Um, but as I understand it, the relationship between them was very good as they were growing up. Um, well, for Charles, with both of his um, younger brothers. Um, yeah, and as you rightly say, by the time, in fact, Edward was born, Charles was, I, I think he was 15, and Anne was a teenager as well, 30. So, yeah, a big, big age gap. Um, but what, from what I understand, Charles enjoyed spending time with his younger brothers. Um, and in the late 1960s, um, he famously wrote a book for them whilst they were on a family holiday in um, the Outer Hebrides. Um, the Old Man of Lochnagar, if that's pronounced correctly, um, was the story that he wrote about um, an old man living in Pavanda, the mountain overlooking the Balmoral estate. Uh, which ultimately he published in 1980 to raise money for um, his one of his charities, the, the famous Prince's Trust. But yeah, 
the relationship was was good. Sadly, it's you know difficult now. But as you said, that growing up and that 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 close, we hear a lot about them as a family. You know, and the children younger up, and it's really lovely to hear stories like that. Of as you said, while things are more difficult now, that there was that closeness of that the four of them as kind of a unit when they were growing up in this very weird situation. Is obviously having mum and dad off everywhere else in the world. And the other thing that the king will have to look at will obviously be his relationship with his younger son Harry. Uh, there's so much conversation at the moment about whether um, Harry will come to the. Uh, coronation with Meghan mm-hmm. and with Archie and Lilibet. Obviously, the coronation falls on uh, Archie's birthday. And but mm-hmm. obviously, I appreciate that you don't know. You're not. You're not. You're not kind of in the, in the phone conversations. But from the research you've done um, and what you've learned about his character, how do you think he would have been impacted by the words and accusations that Harry wrote in his uh, biography, Spare? Oh, all I can say is. He had been hit hard, very beyond hard, in fact, um, as any as any father would would be. Um, I just think it's a very it's very sad that a private family matter has become so public, and, and I'm really not sure what it was supposed to achieve. But as we mentioned on briefly. Uh... King's relationship with William seems to be going from kind of strength to strength. We know that William has been brought in, and you know it sounds like in the the more recent years it ended up being the queen charles and william making these decisions together about kind of the deals of you know harry and Meghan leaving the uk about andrew's situations they were a kind of a, a trio and now kind of going to a bit of a double act obviously without the queen there but you know what was um but yeah so do you think this it is bringing them closer or am i reading too much into that well, I think they are already so incredibly close and always have been, as you said. Um, and like his father, William has been brought up with the ultimate role as king in mind. So Charles knows exactly what he, how he's feeling, what he do, what he'd be going through, and he will be nothing but supportive of William. Um, so yeah, so a great relationship to have. And we also know that Charles seems to have a very uh, close relationship with Kate, which is lovely. I love seeing them at events. I think it was the James Bond premiere year before last where the four of them did that. You know, it was Kate, William, Camilla and Charles. And they were all kind of, you know, whenever they greet with kisses and cuddles. And it's it's really lovely to see their exchanges. And um, is that, you know, how's that relationship from what you've read and how has that developed? Well, I think Catherine is the perfect daughter-in-law, isn't she? Um, she's. As far as I can see, she never puts a foot foot wrong, and um, you know she's another woman who exudes this quiet dignity and grace, and just gets on with the job. I think she's lovely. And my all-time favourite royal photos at the moment are of King Charles as as not the monarch, not even a dad, but granddad, granddad Wales, as I think they've been calling him. Uh, We saw the brilliant moments during the Jubilee where Louis was, you know, when he was completely stealing the show, but when he got bored of sitting with, you know, mum and just went, I'm going to go and sit with granddad now when, you know, seeing him playing with them. Um, What, you know, what would you, you know, what do you think of him as a grandfather? Oh, well, He's immensely proud to be a grandfather, um, and we, we saw that from the moment um, his first grandchild, William and Catherine's son, Prince George, was born um, back in uh, 2013. And and he said at, at the time that he, he and Man Camilla were overjoyed to, to have become that he'd become a grandfather. And 
Um, and now he's a grandfather five times over, of course. Um, and, but also, you shouldn't forget, he's also a step-grandfather to um, Camilla's five grandchildren. So he's got a real uh, brood going on there. But and, and, he, and also, the other thing I think, he's he had such a, a marvellous um, role model in his own grandmother, the Queen Mother, who he was so incredibly close to um, growing up. Um, and she spent a lot of time with both him and Princess Anne when they were particularly when, in their early years when his parents couldn't always be around and they built up this marvellous bond that lasted her whole life and as we know Charles was absolutely devastated when she died albeit that she was 101 um, and 20 years ago now um, but the photographs we see of Charles with his grandchildren are just charming and the one you particularly mentioned there that at the Jubilee pageant when he wanted to go and sit on his grandpa's knee was just sweet as can be and you don't get that sort of relationship with a grandparent um, unless there is a really close bond so I think that does said it all really. And he said it, it makes me think of it's just such a contrast to the photos you saw of Charles as a boy when he would kind of you know greeted his parents when they came back from tour at the station like anyone else you know standing with a load of photographers and what I think is lovely is seeing how the royal family have developed to a point where you know the family photos that we did for I think it was I think it was Charles's 70th birthday where they had them all sitting on the benches and you know like Charlotte was kind of just you know they're like climbing over the tables and you can just imagine behind the scenes of the chaos that was of, you know just kind of kids everywhere and sticking tongues yeah. out and running around you know, and that it was so much fun but that for me is I think a really clear indicator of how much the royal family has developed in you know in yeah. very much a positive way because you know from what we know maybe Charles didn't have as many of those fun moments with you know you know because his relationship with with the Queen but, was very different yes I mean and certainly not in the public eye in fact there's one photograph that sort of quite breaks my heart of Queen returning from some tour I don't know how long she was away I can't even remember which tour it was but she you know she her and Charles got together and she shook his hand. Oh, yeah. You know, how times have changed. And I just think it's lovely that you see Charles kissing his sons, even when they greet each other. You know, that would never have happened even 50 years ago, whatever, would it? It's just a wonderful thing to see the sports um, of, the, of these family members. Definitely. Now, looking ahead to King Charles's reign what do you think some of the biggest kind of the biggest moments and also the biggest challenges that he might face could be and how will he you know 70 years of preparing for this role how will he cope with them and how will he tackle them okay well um i suppose one of his biggest challenges as we know is going to be taking more of a back seat from the charities that we know he's so passionate about um not being able to be so hands-on. It was one of the things he emphasised when he made his first public press as king um, on, the, on the death of his mother, um, but, but nevertheless given the reassurance to, to everybody that his important work will go on because um, in the trusted hands of others, he's got people around him that he absolutely trusts with all of that. Um, for example, the Prince's Trust as we the charity that we mentioned, which he set up in 1976 to help disadvantaged youngsters. 
Um, it's just one of those. But as you said, he's now in his 70s and it can't be that easy starting a new job at that age, can it? However much you've been prepared for it. Um, as most people by that time have actually retired and are doing things that they wanted to do and had acquired a pace. Um, I'm sure there's lots of things he'd love to be doing. Um, not Perhaps not least of all something like spending more time at Hindgrove and the wonderful gardens there. So that must be hard. Um, but I suppose perhaps the biggest challenge could be following in his mother's footsteps. He, he knows so well how much how successful his mother was as monarch, how revered she was, how respected. So following in those footsteps is no bad thing, but nevertheless, it's a hard act to follow. Um, and he is his own man with his own ideas. Um, and as we know, he he said even before, quite a long time before he took um, the throne that he'd be looking for a slim down monarchy, exactly what that is going to um, become. We don't know at this stage, but um, those must be things he's looking looking towards and considering. Um, but whatever it is, he said he's a realist and he recognises how much the world has moved on and how and that different things are expected from him than it would be for for his mother um, all those years ago when she took on the role. Um, and I guess the coronation itself is is a challenge, isn't it? It's, you know, the eyes of the world are going to be upon him once again in this wonderful event that we haven't seen for 70 years. Um, yeah, it's going to be really something. So hopefully he's looking forward to it. <laughs> Definitely. It's going to be such a, you know, like I said, such a huge event in the calendar. And it's going to be, we've been almost a bit spoiled with royal events because we had the Jubilee just last year, which was a great occasion yes. for everyone, you know, whether you're a huge royal fan or even if you're not, it's still an opportunity to bring everyone together, uh, you know, the extra yes. bank holidays to, you know, if nothing else, it's a chance to get to know your neighbours if they're street parties um, mm -hmm. and to obviously have the same celebrations again this year. Now, obviously, as you mentioned, uh, the majority of people have never seen a coronation before, um, mm -hmm. but he is making quite a few changes to the traditional aspects. Obviously, there are several big big things that can't change but we know it's he's changing making it shorter as well if nothing else but scaling down and making some tweaks were you surprised by the news that he was you know doing it kind of his own way uh, no not really i think um he's so, he's so conscious of the way the world the nation is in the current climate that um he he, he made you know that announcement that it, that it wouldn't be the same as his mother's, but nevertheless, with the sort of pageantry that the nation has come to expect from these whole events. And for most of us, this is going to be a one-off, or not for most of us, but for a lot of us, this will be a one-off event. And of course, most of us will want to see all the pomp and ceremony and tradition and pageantry that, um, that is so much part of our royal heritage. We call that, don't we? And the aspect of the Jubilee that I love as well, or the Jubilee weekend, is the day of volunteering that he's doing on the Monday. So obviously um, here in the UK, everyone gets the Monday off as a bank holiday. And this has yes. become a kind of a, the big help. Um, and this for me just felt like so, this had Charles written all over it. You know, the idea yes. of get every, getting everyone to do a litter pick, to go and, yeah. you know, 
make your park your local park a bit nicer and i think this was really lovely because again even if you're not a fan of the royal family it's still something that you can take the kids you can go up with the friends you know you can it's giving something back um which i think is really lovely and for me felt very you know perfect for him and for his celebration yes i agree that's that as you say had charles written all over it and you know he's again he's charities that he's involved with are such a passion for him but goes beyond that his respect for other people's um charities and passions that they want to be involved with and the fact that this um the big help out is getting people um out and about trying volunteering for themselves even if it isn't something you've done before working together with these local communities this sense of unity and community such an important thing to him so it's it's a lovely thing i think that he's doing there and what role will Prince William, as the heir, play in the official proceedings? Do you, you know, do, does history tell us this, or it, will it all kind of be dependent on what they decide to do? Um, I'm afraid I really don't know. And, and they, they've released so little yet about the coronation itself that I think it's quite hard hard to know. Um, I mean, slowly, slowly we're getting bits of information. Like at the weekend, we had the announcement about the the 12 pieces of music that Charles has commissioned, which is lovely, lovely to hear about. But um, I suppose all we, we do know is that Prince William will be there, support, will be behind his father all the way in whatever he wants to do. That's what I think is really interesting, because as you mentioned before, Charles was only, the Queen obviously had an heir when she was, you know, at her coronation, but he wasn't really old enough to to do anything at it he just kind of went there and smiled with everyone else but you know you couldn't have really asked him to you know have an (laughs) important you know give him some precious item that he you know as a three-year-old would possibly drop or something like that um but yeah and I think that's really interesting as well and as you said they're kind of they're teasing us with information aren't they we're kind of getting Mm. it but it's a good idea because it means we're talking about it a lot more but yeah looking forward to hearing those details um and again I know that you don't know the answer to this question but just kind of interested in your opinion on it as someone who has kind of spent so much time researching Charles um as I mentioned Meghan and Harry will they won't they attend no if Harry decides not to come how much do you think that will impact him how important is it for him to have both of both of his boys there with him at this you know I I can't even imagine the pressure on it god I get a bit stressed on my birthday when everyone looks at me and I'm the center of attention you know this historic day what do you think that will you know mean to him well it's always a situation that he can't win because if if Harry comes there'll be uproar and if he doesn't there'll be uproar so who knows I'm sure we know Prince Charles loves both his sons equally and his door is open to Harry um I mean, there's a huge amount of work to be done, bridges to be built, if you know if they're ever going to get their relationship back on track. But he's, it's, it's, it's his son. I'm sure he would love him to be there. Now, just to finish off then, I'm going to put you completely on the spot, but what was the... I'm going to test your memory as well of how much you remember <laughs> about the research you did. What was the most interesting thing you discovered about King Charles that you didn't know before? <laughs> and gosh well uh well, there's lots of information about him but i suppose one magical thing for me is one of the i'm going back to hindgrave again which i i loved 
Highgrove Gardens. One of the reasons Charles was actually drawn to um, purchasing the Highgrove estate back in um, 1980, Dutch, the Duchy of Cornwall purchased it for him, was the fact one of the reasons he really wanted and chose that place was there was a 200-year-old cedar tree in the grounds close to the house. And we know that he's love of nature and all those things. And it was an, an affirmation, I suppose, of his love for nature and what those gardens were to become to him. Um, and, and not all these details are in the book necessarily, but that tree, that 200-year-old um, cedar, sadly had to be felled in um in, in the 2000 or something about 2007 i think i think sadly was rotting and in danger of uh dropping limbs uh, so becoming a danger to the house um but charles knew at some stage that was likely to happen so had planted um uh, another cedar tree close by 20 years previously um and i they take about 75 years, I believe, to get to full maturity. So if that was um, the early 2000s, um, it's, or like, no, before that, it's probably halfway there to becoming mature. So I just think those lovely touches of his, such personal things, um, his love of nature, again, comes to the fore. But, um, but I suppose generally, for me, it's the warmth of the man, his, his very humanness, um, that, shot, that shone through for me during the research. The fact that he cares so much about people, about the planet. Uh, I think he's just a lovely man. Lovely. Well, thank you so much, Jill, for joining me. It's been lovely to chat to you and to learn learn a bit more about our new king. I keep can't decide how long we keep. I keep calling him new king because I think in my head it's still it's still kind of not adjusted to the, you know the death of the queen yet. But um, yeah, it's been lovely to hear about. And so thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Zoe. So King Charles III by Jill Nappett is out on March 12th. And thank you so much to everyone for listening this week. As always, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Podsave. And until next time. Podsave the King!